Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. Longest running motorsport magazine show, Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests, and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. Hello everybody and welcome along to Midweek Motorsport. I'm John Hindhoff, uh, up at Hindhoff Towers, dark again this evening, can't even see the meadow outside. Uh, three minutes, maybe four minutes after eight o'clock, so we are a tad uh, behind schedule already and we've got lots to get in tonight. First, let's get up to London and say hello to Tim Gray. Hello John. And on a packed programme tonight, Tim. We have all the usual features and... Uh We'll be joined by Nick Damon, we'll be joined by John DeGeese, we'll be joined by Shay Adam, uh, and uh, lots more as well. And we have uh, more news about the uh, awards as well. Listener award nominations are revealed tonight for your delectation, and more importantly for you to get voting on them. That's all to come. Let's do uh, a little bit of housekeeping. Paul Markart, Paul, indebted uh, to your help today. The clouds have partnered magically on a day where Midweek Motorsport will be lit with conversation and I have no afternoon meeting. I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but Chris Alphaby has said, apologies for absence, only two more weeks until I can listen live for the first time since August. Um, Feel sorry for me, Spectrum, tonight. I'm watching Derby tonight, says Stephen Lloyd. will catch the podcast tomorrow. Uh, Derby is Declan Brennan's team of choice as well Derby County good luck um, Keke Murray no AFAs tonight can't think of anyone I'd rather spend my birthday with in this collective wonder if anyone's figured to gift how to gift wrap Lassart for me Keke Murray someone else has got a birthday coming up uh, happy birthday no AFAs for Brody just got in from some silver cloud work Hunter's Chicken ah Chicken Cacciatoria uh, Scott Third Wheel can't wait to hear the interpretation of the regs. Have to catch them on the podcasts, though. AFAs working in probably the only place you can't be received on the planet, an EMC anechoic chamber somewhere in the middle of England, says Dead Squirrel. Now I'm in trade. Now I'm in trade. No apologies from Major Michael we- uh, Reese. Not having to work tonight either. Listening to last week's show to catch up. Uh, and... Uh, I better get in a come on Harvey in there alongside the horse music. Yes, very good. Chris Suku listening to the show in Ingolstadt or thereabouts doing some design work. Oliver Giles, Oliver Giles, Olivier Gillet uh, enjoying some Assetto Corsa Competizione whilst tuning in tonight. Kevin Payne listening live. Thought it might be quite a show, but that hasn't happened, has it? No, you're absolutely right. Top story to come. Uh, and another Kevin, Kevin Payne. Looking forward to hearing the insights on the tech regs. Ted the toy man having to get ready for work, so he'll have a listen on the podcast. McLaren Philadelphia listening and ready 
take us to the motorsport promised land, says the McLaren Philadelphia team. And right turn lover, standing by is requested. Uh, curious on the listeners, uh, show of the year nominations getting put to the vote. Carol Brink listening. Uh, uh, and uh, Guff Lamont, Neil Gardner, who's sketching a AMG GT Mercedes last piece of na- uh, 2019 and indeed the decade. 2020 will be his 12th, 10th year of dra- drawing and he's very excited about getting back into it. Have a great show. Uh, Chris Coughlin, there's a new name. Apologies, juggling the dishes, loading the kids in the washing machine uh, and tumble drying the dog. Oh, maybe you haven't got that the right way around. I'm catching up on the podcast tomorrow whilst in a forest building a log cabin. No airfares for Andrew Muggeridge, tuned in from a wet and windy Cornwall. Let's get to our top story. Here's the news jingle. All the latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek Motorsport. And we're going to start uh, with a reference to last week's show. Really? Yes. Right. Because last week we mentioned uh, that... uh, when we're talking about calendar changes, and I know we're not supposed to be talking about calendar changes yet, but we have to talk about them now, uh, for the World Endurance Championship, uh, we pointed out that it needed to be uh, ratified by a meeting of the FIA World Motorsport Council. And I said, well, that's funny, because one of those has happened today. By the time we finished our show last night, we had not had the press release last week. Mm -hmm. We'd not had the press release uh, with the details of what was discussed at that meeting of the FIA World Motorsport Council. Correct. Subsequently, we have, and that night was published a document called Le Mans Prototype Hypercar Technical Regulations. That, that's not now, that's, even that's, that's not strictly true, Tim. That wasn't published, and it wasn't published on Thursday uh, either. And it's it was, got a publication date of the fourth of December. It wasn't on the website, shall I say then? Uh, And it wasn't on the website all the way of the weekend until this morning. Yes, publication date is still the 4th of December, though, so uh, we'll we'll assume that that is correct. Anyway, it's got uh, one mistake in it in the bit that I've read to you so far. Because a clarification was issued uh, about that. Um, It kind of slid out. As Tim said, it was all a bit unconventional. Our fax machine burst into life uh, this morning and... uh, I think we're going to have to start a, um, a crowdfunding for a, a new fax rule because I've never seen so much paper. Uh, not one, not two, but six different sets of regulations for the 2020 FIA World Endurance Championship and Le Mans. Uh, calendar news we'll talk about later because that's going to be, I think, announced tomorrow. Uh, and Tim does like a bit of calendar news. So it's rather taken people by surprise when it appeared without any warning. Uh, this morning on the FIA.com uh, uh, site. Uh, earlier on today, I caught up with John DeGeese, the uh, managing editor and founder of Sportscar365. He's in Bahrain at the moment for this weekend's FIA WEC. The, uh, for, for that race, that uh, eight-hour race this weekend. Uh, and I started off by making the point that, uh, finally, we've got the... the uh, the new regulation, so that that must be good news. Yeah, absolutely. We've been waiting months for this. Um, what was initially announced at Loma in June of having regulations, um, at that point, the, the different rule books were separated between road-going hybrid, road-going hypercars and prototype-based hypercars, and now we have a merged um, set of regulations. As far as I can tell, there's still a draft set of regulations. I don't think that this is anywhere from being finalized 
um, due to some uh, wording in the regs um, that says work in there's areas that say work in progress and there's some areas that say possibly to be, to be deleted and actually the name itself is incorrect per mm-hmm. the FIA um, it, it listed as Lama prototype hyper car technical regulations where I've just gotten um, uh, clarification from the FIA here in Bahrain that says that's not true. The the, the category name is Lama Hypercar as it was initially announced by the ACO last week. So there's lots to digest in this, and I think it's going to take us quite some time to figure it all out in the, probably the weeks to come. There's been no there's been no fanfare. There's been no Taran Tarar uh, or even a press release that said that these regulations were going to appear. Um, what we don't know, as you rightly say, is whether they've been ratified by the FIA World Motorsport Council, although it would appear by the notations on the regs as published on the FIA website that they've been at least presented uh, to them. It's all rather underwhelming in some respects, John, and, and I'm quite surprised about that. And, and, and by the way, I'm not criticising the regs. I'm just surprised that there hasn't been a bigger fanfare for them. Well, I, I think these were supposed to be published when the World Motorsport Council met. They're, they're dated the 4th, like you said, and, and we don't know if they've been approved. Um, they look like a draft set of regulations to me still, very much like we've seen with other sets of regulations. Um, notably, I've seen things through IMSA that have had similar annotations. But you're right, there hasn't been a lot of fanfare about it. Um, I think the, the the manufacturers that are currently involved in this, you know, Toyota, Aston Martin, um, Glickenhaus, and and Baikalis, which remains a bit unclear, those manufacturers and, and car builders are really in the thick of things. They're trying, they're in a huge race just to get the cars on the grid in next September for the season opener, and and so maybe. You know, they're, they're, the ACO and FIA are trying to do everything they can just to get the rules out there in whatever finalized, as close as finalized as they yeah. can be. Well, and indeed, one of the criticisms that has been out there that if there was a manufacturer, and um, I, I think you probably know one, and I've certainly been contacted by a manufacturer who wanted to have a look at the regulations without necessarily going public and didn't want to go and ask the ACO for them. Um, and they haven't been able to do that. Any manufacturer hasn't been able to do that. Now, at least there's something on the FIA, WEC, uh, the FIA uh, dot com uh, site. Uh, let's let's pick the bones out of some of the things, not necessarily the, the minutiae of, of technicals, because six different sets of regulations have been produced today, including 2020 uh, for GT Le Mans and LMP2 and uh, LMP1 non-hybrid, which we were kind of expecting. LMP1 hybrid as well, which sort of suggests whether or not there's anybody who wants to enter it, that the current crop of LMP1 hybrids, which would include Toyota, who are the only people still running that, would still be eligible for 2020, 2021. And that I don't think we were expecting, John. No, we weren't. I, I, I was under the understanding that the only cars that would be grandfathered in the current LMP1 cars would be the non-hybrids. And now we see a set of technical regs for hybrids. Um, I, I still have to get further clarification on what this exactly means. I'm sure we'll be talking to um, ACO uh, Sporting Director Vincent Boomingsnail this weekend to try to get information on this. I don't believe he's arrived yet, but um, it's it's interesting. We know that Toyota has said this is the final season for their TSO 50 hybrid, but presumably that car will not be run again. That's my understanding. But I guess this does leave a door open for 
some kind of a hybrid project for an LMP1 car should there be someone out there wanting to run a car. Mm. And, and it's, again, my understanding that the grandfathered LMP1 cars are only grandfathered for one season. So right. it doesn't really give that much motivation for a new project or a privateer to purchase cars. No. So I think this is maybe just more of a eligibility situation that maybe what if the Toyota hypercar is delayed by a race or two? You know, there's no requirement saying that the hypercars have to start the first race of the season. They can enter mid-season from what I'm uh, from what I'm aware. And, and I know that there's extremely tight deadlines from all the manufacturers right now. Good so point. maybe this is kind of like an out, you know, a, a way of having an out in case the last resort has to be made by Toyota. Uh, I can't. Uh, yes, I think that's a very good point. Uh, a number of people have already been tweeting, would they won't run a hypercar singular and a LMP1, a TSO50, could it be a privateer entry? I'm, I'm not sure how that helps anybody, to be honest. But but it, it, as, uh, as, as enthusiasts, you can't fault the ACO here. And let's be honest, these are the ACO's regulations, although they go to the FIA and they become part of the FIA, WEC. They're the ACO's regulations. You can't fault the ACO for giving themselves the best opportunity to attract everybody because, as it stands at the moment, in 2020 at Silverstone, we could potentially, in the top class, have six different types of cars competing in the top class, being the two current LMP1s, uh, hybrid and non-hybrid, and then four flavours of hypercars built on a road car, hybrid and non-hybrid, or specifically and bespoke competition race cars, hybrid and, and non-hybrid. And that, you've got to say, the SEO have gone have, have, have met the, the OEMs, the manufacturers, head on and said, well, you've asked for this, you've asked for that, you've asked for this, right, we've put it all in there, now put your money where your mouth is, come and race. And I think that's great. Absolutely. And imagine in two years, if there's another type of car that's eligible in the DPI, you know, we're mm. awaiting news on, on, on those negotiations and talks and something could be coming as early as Daytona. We'll have to wait and keep our fingers crossed. But it definitely does seem like the ACOs have is taking an open an arms wide open approach on this in, in allowing every possible configuration. You know, the, the, these these regs even allow rotary engines of all, of all mm. sorts in, in here. And I, I'm really intrigued by that because I think that's the first time rotary has actually been listed in technical regulations. There's some debate whether they whether they were legal or not up until now, but um, we know Mazda has been trying to get a rotary engine back on in the production line. Maybe there's something more to that. I don't know. It's just pure speculation, but it is interesting that they note rotary um, engines are eligible in multiple times in the in the set of regs. And and if it was a road going rotary engine, there are some advantages to using a road going engine full stop if you think it's going to be reliable enough and powerful enough to do up to and including a 24-hour race you've got a little bit more freedom with materials uh, and uh, with technology in those engines I'm glad you brought engines up because one of the things that um, I noticed in in the regs and people have been commenting on since the clarification last week now about what constitutes a manufacturer and what doesn't it's very clear from the regulations that just having a manufacturer engine will not be enough to be considered a manufacturer you have to have a piece of paper from the engine manufacturer saying that they are clearing you to use it and therefore they are the manufacturer of of record if you will yeah. so that so that's some very important clarity there 
Yes, and this is something similar that's done in GT3, for instance. Um, we see the Callaway Corvette race. Um, it's eligible in GT3. They have to have a piece of paper from GM basically signing off on that car. So it's not different from other categories of sports car racing, but it is good to see this in writing at least so we know what the requirements are because like you said there has been a lot of rumors there's been a lot of speculation over what everything meant when the FIA put out their initial statement in the World Motorsport Council notes and I know the ACO followed up with some clarifications but it still left us a little bit confused now there's a criteria but at the same time we don't really know we still don't really know what exactly defines an automotive brand I think the ACO has left that very loose and probably very loose for a good reason, yes. um, just in, 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 in case they need additional hypercars or they have interest from a Baikalis, for instance, that might not have a direct OEM relationship at this time that might develop into a direct, a direct OEM relationship. You know, these, I, I, from what I can tell, these cars can be, you know, you can put different engines in them at different points and re-homologate them, much mm -hmm. like what the IMSA DPI regs are. So I think that would allow... A, a privateer maybe to get their start with something in, in the short term before maybe developing more into a more manufacturer-driven project. Yeah, and, and, and the reason that that's so important is uh, is that people can now make plans. For example, I know of a very well-funded team um, or entrant, potential entrant, who have designed uh, a hypercar to the regulations as they expected them and they were hoping that merely using a manufacturer engine and in this case it was a Ferrari engine would have got them in it would seem that that wasn't the case now and unless somebody at Ferrari signs a bit of paper that car won't be considered um, very very interesting um, generally speaking John and, and obviously we're in the very early moments hours of of these regulations getting up there and i'll be honest i've, I've sped read most of them and and spent most of the time on the um hypercar ones uh, generally speaking from from what you've seen there and heard there in the very early part of the the race week for the eight hours at Bahrain, um people taking this on board as a positive step um, I've sort of sped read this as well, and, and full credit to our Daniel Lloyd uh, um, at Sports Car 365 for getting the story up so quickly on this because um, we've been sort of flat out with a lot of a lot of things going on here. Um, bottom line is I haven't really spoken to many people yet about this on the reaction on their for the reactions, but um, looking at it myself, I, I don't see any major surprises. So I guess that's a good sign. Um, we've had a lot of changes to this whole formula over the last two years i just look back at the last two editions of the 24 hours of le mans and, and how things have changed so dramatically for the top class and now we're eight months away from these regulations taking to the grid at silverstone presumably for the season opener so um it's um i'm glad that they're on paper i'm glad that they're nearly finished and and i think this is a good step in, in the in the in the direction for the aco and fia um to to realize this this creation of this new new category i have a feeling john that you and i will be speaking about this again uh, in the near future if not before the break for christmas in the new year then probably not yeah. too not too long after that i'm very envious of you uh, being at the sake circuit it's a great place uh, to be enjoy the weekend and thanks for joining us here on midweek motorsport yep thanks no problem my pleasure that was uh, john geese of sportscar 365 talking to us earlier on today
from a busy Bahrain press room, which was getting even busier as those uh, those drops. A couple of tweets before we move on. Uh, tech regs finally published both with incorrect naming and uh, something subject to change or uh, listed as work in progress, as we mentioned there. Uh, Kevin Payne saying, thanks for pointing out the rotary engine in the regs. Very interesting. Uh, Guff Lamont saying, I wonder if they felt they had to get something out there to kill some of the speculation caused by the miscommunication related to the decision to require auto manufacture a brand. <sighs> Honestly, as John and I were talking about when we recorded that earlier on today, and I haven't changed my mind on this, those are draft regs. They are not ratified. They're, they are not the final regs. So let I, I think we, we have to let the ACO do their job. Um, the ACO um, uh, write the regs. It goes to the FIA for ratification. Um, if I'm honest, there seems to be a little bit of a tug of war on those regs at the moment. Can't even get people to talk to us officially without putting things through the right channels and um, knowing where the right channels are is becoming more and more difficult uh, at Specutainment if you'd like to know if you've got anything to uh, to say about that we have tweeted and I will do it again uh, exactly where those regulations are that were published on the FIA.com today uh, and uh, Tim what uh, what have you got for us uh, well obviously we have uh we have uh, this. Just bear with me one moment. Do you want to talk? Days. You wanted to talk about calendar. You said before I did we want start. to talk about yes. calendars. Uh-huh. Um, and the reason I want to talk about calendars, right? Which is this, which I put in the wrong place, but now I have it in the correct place. Do we have a jingle? Yes. Oh, fantastic! Stop. Oh yes. Wait a minute. Mr. Postman. Wait. Wait. Mr. Postman. This is from uh, Andrus Betsins. Mm-hmm. He says, Would be interested to hear on Midweek Motorsport how the WC is still a world championship with its only visiting three continents this season. Does the FIA not have a requirement for how many continents a world championship must visit? Isn't that why Sebring was such a big deal when Austin folded? Uh, yes. Uh, yes. Um, so they lost South America, but... Uh, and they gained another race in North America when Brazil went away. So they're not going to the four candidates required by the regulations. Well, they've got Europe. Yes. North America. North America. North America. Asia. Asia. Asia, Asia and Europe. And Europe. Mm-hmm. True. Yep. Not likely to change either, I wouldn't think. Anytime no. soon. Well, not this year, but next year, obviously, they're going to go to South Africa, aren't they? Well, it's interesting that you should say that, Tim, because the, uh, as you know, the FIAWEC calendar for 2020-2021 is due to come out. And as you also know, because we discussed it on this programme, and there was a long discussion on the Facebook Collective, on Radio Show Limited's Facebook Collective, about a survey that the FIAWEC published from their teams, basically saying that Shanghai was the least favourite place of them to go. So I think that if you were a betting man, it wouldn't be a bad idea to say that uh, that Shanghai might go and top of the list to replace it would be South Africa and Kyle Army. 
Uh, also, I would suggest that after the machinations with Brazil, that might not come back. And my money there uh, would be on replacing that with a European, another European round. And the reason I say that is that there happens to be a, a Europe, uh, a European circuit, which has great provenance for endurance racing that has been very active in trying to get people to go back to them after a time when they have had um, strict restrictions on how many loud events they can have. Uh, and we talked about this at Cota, uh, and that's Monza. Monza approached Kreventnik to get them back on the calendar. And I would think if they were looking for, because the quarter deal to replace Brazil coming up is, um, I believe, a single year only, and, and basically just a help out for that. And that was great hustle by Gerard Nouveau and the WEC to get that done. Um, I I would think if they were looking for somewhere to replace Brazil in 2020-21, that Monza might be the place they were going. Yes, uh, well, uh, Monza has held a WEC prologue. Was it last year? And it's back on the ELMS calendar this year, oh, for 2020 as well. Yeah, yeah. So they're obviously wanting to do something. The other thing is, I think... Um, that, uh, and again, this has been discussed at length, and whether this comes out tomorrow or not, I don't know. Um, but uh, Scott Atherton wasn't it, was telling us on his final Ask Atherton that uh, it, it was very likely that Sebring 2020 uh, with WEC uh, will be... Uh, that the FIA event will be moved further forward in the day on Friday. So um, certainly it will be, and it, it will finish earlier. So either it will move forward or it will be shorter or possibly both. Um, that will require some rejigging to the Michelin Pilot Challenge probably. Um, but that is, uh, that again, whether that is announced tomorrow or not, I, I honestly... I honestly uh, don't know. Um, we have some more sports car news in the second hour of the show. Well, there's one more thing we can do now because as we start at three minutes late, we've still got three minutes here uh, to do that. Um, uh, and that is the change in... Because this is all Le Mans based and we're talking Le Mans, so we might as well do it. It's been a change, Tim, in the criteria for invitations to Le Mans as earned by people in the European Le Mans series. Um, yes. And you know what? I think this is really, really sensible. Because it really helps out a championship that is getting more and more populous in terms of competitors. And and basically, without going into the wise wherefores and exacts of it, is the more the more entries there are for a full season class in ELMS, the more automatic invitations you get to Le Mans. Uh, it's a sliding scale. It can never go below one. So in... Uh, LMP3, that actually, that the winner only gets, that one doesn't change. That The winner only gets an automatic invitation. In LMP2 and GTE, LMGTE, as the ACO call it, it's a sliding scale. It'll never go down below one, but it could be two. And if the entries are big enough, it could even be three. So that is a maximum of seven entries from the European Le Mans series, automatic invitations, I should call them. Uh, your thoughts, please, on the regulations. I have tweeted that now. Uh, and uh, 
Uh, and I absolutely agree that it's close force majeure in terms of the uh, World Championship status and uh, uh, and the amount of continents this year. Be interesting. Uh, Max Power says, when's the calendar? That should be announced tomorrow, uh, is yes. uh, that. Uh, we're pretty certain it will be announced tomorrow. Uh, and uh, that means that Johnny can talk about it in our WEC qualifying coverage on Friday. Yeah, and the full eight hours with WEC uh, uh, on Johnny and Bruce on Saturday. So that's our top story tonight. Let's have your third thoughts, please, at Specutainment. Still to come, uh, we've got the Show of the Year Listeners Award nominees. More about that later on. But now we've pushed him back a little bit. He'll be getting antsy. It's time for Formula One, and that means Nick Damon. Hooray! He's still very loud. Hey, hey. Hello, Nick. So, can I, can I, hello there. Can I make a quick, quick comment? Uh, I listened to last week's show, um, yes. actually, whilst I was doing some training in Abu Dhabi, and I don't think you should be allowed to speak about F1 without me. What did we get wrong, in your view? Well, most things, but basically, Lewis's contract, which everybody knows is up at the end of next year. Right. Yes, but we did put that right. Know th- yes, but it's later we in the show, right. love. I'd, I'd, I'd already shouted at the podcast for many minutes at that point. No, but that's that's the essence of a live show. And somebody tweeted in, and we got to the tweet, and we put it right. That's fine. Yes, but that's right. what happens when we don't have our uh, expert because well. you choose to be doing something else. In a country where Formula One's I going know. on. I know. I missed it by a day. <laughs> you yeah, could have, you were you there for the thrown, testing. I was going to say you could have thrown yeah. a wheel nut to the test. I was within a mile of the test. Did you hear them? But um. I didn't hear them, but I did see a, see a few things. And also, unfortunately, the, yeah, I, I, I turned over to the, other, to the other seat in the hire car, said, if I was here on my own, my darling, I'd, I'd nip off and see the test. And, she, and the response was, would you? OK, well, there we go then. And we carry on going to the hotel. <laughs> hmm. This was, of course, Any- Mrs. Damon and not one of Nick's colleagues. No. Indeed. Absolutely. Although he just yes. calls us all darling, to be honest, anyway. Who's unhappy, Nick? (laughs) Well, I don't know, all of us at the moment. More specifically, Tim, who's unhappy about what, where? Oh, no, I know this one. Sorry, I do know this one. I know this one. It's Renault, isn't it? It is Renault, yes. And why are they unhappy? They're unhappy because something everyone said was going to be a good idea and they were going to do a technical working meeting, they then decided not to do and voted against (laughs) uh, four months later. Um... And that is specifically the the rule, which for some reason Sky seemed to think is unbelievably complicated and opaque and people can't understand, it, which is that if you were in the top 10, you have to use the tyres you qualified for on in uh, qualifying two, two to start yeah, the race. Um, yes. And they want, and the rule they're going to abandon that rule and just say you could start on anything you wanted. But that seemed to me to be a retrograde step. Um because it takes away a, a slight element of sophistication. What, the reason this Q2 rule hasn't worked as well as it should do um, is over the last three or four years, the yawning chasm between the first three teams and, and team number four, which meant the top six cars, the Red Bulls, the Ferraris and the Mercedes, could effectively qualify on a sub-optimum tyre through that second section, and that, which, yeah. so they would be on the second fastest tyre 
tyre still get through and then move on to the fastest tyre for the actual pole shootout in, in Q3, but therefore start on a car on a tyre that's more durable. And as we've seen, obviously, the, the move towards one-stop race over the last couple of years, it gave them not only their fast, they also had an advantage. So the people who, who used to suffer were the guys who really, really went for um, qualifying through into Q. So the, the final four positions in Q3, the final qualifier, which were tended to be, you know, Renaults and McLarens this year and the odd uh, racing point and, and occasional Alfa Romeo, who would then be on the softest tyre where... And, and starting in eighth or ninth, but then the guys in eleventh, twelfth, and behind would have a free choice of tyre. Uh, and often, of course, because of various penalties, they may be actually starting higher than the tenth. I mean, they could be starting ninth with a free choice of tyre, which meant that the the carrot of getting into the top ten ended up being a stick. Um, isn't isn't the to me? There's two two points on that, Nick. Number one, there's not enough difference between the tyre compounds. The tyres that don't choose the compounds that are far enough apart to make the difference. And number two, would it not make it just easier to say the tyre that you set your fastest lap time on throughout any of the three qualifying sessions is the tyre you have to start on? Uh, that, I think that was the case about four years ago before they changed it to heat to the second thing. So it was the people who are in the, in the top in the top uh, three were, were doing three fast laps and starting on that set of tyres. Um, hmm. But I think... The actual idea is quite solid. It's just been usurped by the fact that the te- teams four, five, six, and seven can't catch teams one, two, and three. So teams one, two, and three are not only starting at the front, but also starting on the best race tyre as well. You could always also say that anybody gets into the top ten can have an extra set of tyres um, of any compound that they want, provided that that is what they qualify in Q3 on and then start the race on. What if it rains? Well, that, all bets are oh, off when it rains anyway, so anyway. Just, that yeah. doesn't make any difference. I, 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 think it's think a bit... I don't think there's anything wrong with the rule. I think it just, it's, it's another time where you end up with teams lower down the grid moaning when what they actually need to do is a better job. Yes. Because yeah, if great. seven teams could get into Q1, then Mercedes, uh, Red Bull and Ferrari couldn't risk being on the sub-optimum tyre in Q2. So it's, it's not yeah. all your try. Basically, it's a bit, you know, it's a bit North London school sports day for me to start changing this rule, to be honest. I think Renault, what Renault need to do it is build go a faster. faster car. Yes. All right, that's or, that's or all. Or faster drivers. Yep, um, move on. What has uh, Valtteri Bottas been doing this week? He's been doing what every good Finnish man should do, a rally. And he's been doing it in that <laughs> centre of rallying, Paul Ricard. Right. Yeah. Okay. Paul Ricard, I'm not aware of that uh, being a rally course. I thought it was a... Well, you've, not, you've not heard it. Flat left over the paint, quick over crest, it's paint. And then the sharp six, it's paint. Uh, go past the paint and uh, go past the paint again. And flat paint. So not gravel. Well, no, but they were going to race in the car parks, but they couldn't because there were still cars stuck there from the 2018 Grand Prix. Um, shush. Thank you. Here all week. I took the waitress to try the veal. Uh, so Bottas <laughs> was actually in a proper WRC car, wasn't he? I, do you know what? Genuinely, I didn't even bother reading the article because it had the word rallying in it. Um, but I didn't know he was doing it. It was a Citroen so, DS3. So no longer a rally car then because they've given up, haven't they? Uh They've emphasised their commitment to uh, rallying by pulling out, yes. Um, (laughs) 
also uh, taking part was uh, Robert Consani, who uh, you might remember from the European Rally Championship. He was in the Skoda Fabio R5. Genuinely never heard of him before. Okay. Skoda Fabio R5 is is um, what won the European Rally, Rally Championship, Championship. Yes. for the team that you were talking to at Corta, Nick. Oh, right, yes, yes, yes. The um, top, uh, top or top WRT. Yes, no, no, I've I, I, I known them, but... Uh, you didn't I, know him. No, no, or, or rallying, really. Which... Tony Pond, Tony Pond, Metro 6R4, after that, forget it. I would quite like to see uh, to meet Tony Pond at an awards dinner of the Historic Rally Championship and say, who are you? And he and his tux would turn around and say, Pond, Tony Pond. Very good. I like what you did there. Uh, which like one driver has jumped out of a plane this weekend? Uh, I have no idea who's gone skydiving. It could be any of them who has a re- relatively flexible contract. It is Do I, like... Leclerc. Oh, is it? Oh, really? Right. Yes. Why? Was it, was, it, was it not supposed to happen, but Sebastian bumped into him near a door? <laughs> uh, but obviously, you remember that uh, at the start of the year, Lewis Hamilton went skydiving. I uh, remember To that, prove yes. to Max Verstappen that he wasn't scared of anything. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, Charles Leclerc has done it... Uh, to prove that anything Lewis can do, he can do as well. Okay, well, he's only got six world championships to catch up, but apart from that, he's right on target. And what was responsible for Lewis winning his sixth world championship? Scoring more points than everyone else. What does Lewis say was responsible? Team effort. Being brilliant. Um, His plant-based diet. Plant-based diet. Eats, shoots and leaves. That's it, yes. Uh, well, speaking of someone who has two vegans living in the house, mm, not sure about that. <laughs> I thought I was living healthily, says Lewis. Then I met a few new people who were vegans, and they started showing me some of the things happening in our world that I was completely oblivious to. It freaked me out. Sounds like the start of the Wicker Man. Met these people dancing around a maypole. It all went a bit wrong. Hey, really, you know, not it's, um, the original, it not here. scary. I've always been bloated and thought it was normal. Okay. Um, when you turned with, turn with a 45-year-old woman? He's, he's never been bloated. He's stick thin. Always has been. Anyway, don't worry, move on. This year he's managed to bulk up on a diet of smoothies, avocados, baked... No, 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 no that's not... For that. Look, I'm not going to argue baked beans. that it's doing him some good. But the reason he's bulked up is because they give an extra five kilograms they can weigh the drivers. Mushrooms Correct. and sweet potato. Well, lots of carbs in sweet potatoes and lots of carbs in baked beans as well. No, That's I'm not... sure. Yeah, John, I'm sure this is... It's, if, if it just works psychologically or if it is something he's, he's found he's intolerant to, fantastic. But don't start saying he's bulked up because of that. They've all bulked up because they were allowed to. I used to love burgers, he said. I went right. to a restaurant in Hong Kong and I had this burger that tasted incredible. Then I met up with another friend and talked about bringing it to the UK and building this up to make something transcending because people do still like fast food, which is why Lewis Hamilton now runs a vegan burger restaurant in London. Apparently, <sighs> the, 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 one of the so main, all one of that was a really good one. Sorry, Nick. 
Sorry, well, so, so one of the, one of the major, major chains has a, has, a, has a very good vegan burger. You can't tell the difference on my... But I, I, I'm not being coy here. I can't remember which, which chain it is. Is it Wimpy? No, what... That's the um, chain it's, one. it's Burger King doing incredible uh, burger, don't they? Um, oh, yeah. And certainly Virgin Lounges do. Um, that was just a convoluted way of Lewis to get a plug-in for his new restaurant. Might and it shows you exactly ha- how little Formula One room there, news there is this week. Russia will remain on the 2020 calendar despite mm. uh, being banned from major sports. Yes, because they're banned from competing in major sports, not banned from holding major sports. How does it affect Daniel Kvyat? It doesn't. Can't have the, can't have the Russian flag next to his name. It doesn't, doesn't affect him at all. They're not underwater. It's like the European. Russia is allowed to take part in the European Championship. Yes, it's a, it's certain events are not. Um, this this sanction is only over certain events and certain sports. I mean, I'm not not belittling yes. in any way. The what, problem what the is Russia, not that um, the Russian Grand Prix is, uh, according to WADA, a major event. Yeah, and it's organised by a WADA member, which is the yeah. Fédération Internationale de l'Automobile. Automobile. However. There is an exemption to this ban, which is for events which have contracts already in place. Ah. Also, they can't re-sign one then over the next four years. No. Uh, also, Russia uh, could appeal, so you never know. They've got 21 they're days. That. They're not going to win that appeal, that's for sure. So the contract for the Russian Grand Prix runs to 2025. Right. Okay, well, that's, that takes it out, outside this current ban. Not saying it's a bit, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's actually a very serious point, and there's, and there's been some very serious, um, well, massive, flagrant uh, manipulation and cheating and uh, in, well, embezzlement's the wrong word, you know what I mean? Um, uh, but it's been, and, they did, and, you know, reading the facts, the country deserves its ban. Obviously, it's always bad for individual athletes who are clean, and I'm sure that includes uh, Daniel Kvyat, um, and Arto Markov and the rest of the Russian racing drivers because, you know, but that that's what it is. Them, them's the rules. And, and they have uh, been breaking them systematically. Robert Schwarzman, and, and I, European uh, FIA Formula 3 champion, is Russian. And I'm, I'm right in saying, though, that all Russian athletes can still compete. They just can't compete for Russia. And they have to um, prove that they have been clean for the requisite amount of time. Yeah, therefore, they would have to have had their doping done outside of the Russian doping agency because that's been completely discredited. So people who perhaps do live outside Russia and do get tested by the there FIA at event, this might there be all right. Okay, moving on. Zandvoort has passed its uh, FIA Grade 1 safety inspection. Which is interesting because it's not finished yet. Indeed. Yeah, I'm about to say that. So they, basically, they've, they've inspected the design and they've inspected the, the, the pretend corner they've made. Uh, and said it's going Which to isn't be, even going to be inside cool. the track. Hmm. I mean, the the reason it's able to pass is because uh, um, it's already had the completion of the installation of the safety barriers and fencing. Excellent. But the track's not finished, and it's a massive bunch bit of track that's not finished. That's Ooh. correct. I've got to say thank you very much to Marco. Um, one of our uh, Netherlands listeners uh, who sent quite a lot of information in, which uh, Nick and I have been perusing over the 
last few days. Did you watch the? Uh, did you watch the simulated lap, Nick? Yes, that I did. Marco yeah. sent through. Very mm. interesting, isn't it? Very interesting indeed. It's it's the track's really quick. It's going to be, I think, an excellent track to drive, and I think it will look spectacular. I doubt, certainly in its first year, that there'll be much overtaking. Um, possibly if the, if the magic works for 2021, the cars can overtake, that will change. But I, you know, I doubt it. I know, obviously, that in a banked corner, you rely less on the aero uh, to go round it than you do on a flat corner, and more on basic uh, centripetal force. But even so, I think it's, uh, you know, they're, they're, what they're trying to do is let them slingshot off that final corner down the straight and then break into the, into the, the hairpin to get an overtaking position. But don't know. Don't know, but you know, it's uh, it's a, a, a certainly a, a an in, intelligent and interesting concept to redesign existing track within the massive limitations they have at Zandvoort. What's the big thing that they haven't that. done yet that they're going to have to do that could materially affect the track? They're going to have to stick loads of cranes on the track to put all the grandstands up because they can't get to the grandstands from the other side because it's dunes and you can't put cranes on dunes because they don't really exist of course they are yeah. sifting and shifting the whole time and the top is held together with, sand, with, with grass and that's it so all of the grandstands are going to have to be craned into position uh, using the track as a base which means some rather large and rather heavy cranes are going to have to be deployed on the track surface to put the track put the um put the grandstands at the side of the track now i'm not a road builder as i have said before on this program but i wonder if even my limited knowledge of sub base and um, road building uh, might be lead me to believe that if they're building a Formula One track, they're not going to have built it with a point load that will be equivalent to a honking great crane and several tens or even hundreds of tons. I don't know because I don't know how they're going to assemble the grandstands, whether it's in one piece or prefabricated, but certainly several tons. They'll be prefabricated and flown from helicopters. No, they're not. They're using cranes. They're using cra- they are using cranes on the track, and the track is going to be closed to other events while it's happening. But I would think the point load on that, Nick, um, you probably did more physics at school than I did. Um, Mr. Elliot will <laughs> remind me of that. Um, I think the point load on a crane with a honking grey piece of steel on it is probably more than a Formula One car in motion. Just a little bit, even the yeah, I mean, the thing is, I think uh, they're going to open the track, aren't they? Run a couple of events and then close Correct. the track. The tarmac will be Correct. down. Um, if, obviously, most of the grandstands are going to go alongside the main straight, that main straight substrate, yeah, substrate has been in there for, well, I suppose, in various cases, ever since the track was built in the 60s. So it's it should be relatively settled. But, yeah, I mean, the, you would think that putting the feet of the crane is going to lead some divots in the track, John, my guess. That's the worry. That's the worry. You, what you do is you put some... Um, I mean, ridiculously, but this is what you do. You put some thick pieces of wood or some old railway sleepers or something, and you you put the hydraulic feet uh, on that. Uh, it's interesting. Um, there are, as Nick says, going to be a couple of events, including the guys who are supporting 
the Hankook 24 Hours of Dubai, the WE Care Dutch Endurance Series, uh, that is going to be on. Um, it's an early season. It's the first European round, isn't it? It's in May. Um, so they're going to have to crack on uh, with this. And I'm, I'm indebted to Marco Barensvard for sending us all of the information. Marco, thank you for keeping us in touch. And please keep the information flow coming. Um, looks good. I, I tend to agree with you, Nick, that it looks like it will be spectacular. The onboard shots for qualifying are going to be great. My question would be, where do you overtake and um, and how's that going to work? Where's the where's the DRS? Down the front straight? Yes. Second DRS zone? Out the back somewhere? Into the final corner? Ooh, that yeah. could be quite interesting, couldn't it? Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think I mean, it's, I think it's going to be, it'd be an interesting circuit, and obviously it'll be actually packed with mad Max Verstappen fans in in May when it happens, and it'll be an event, and hopefully the second one's a race. I, we 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 need to sit down with uh, Rick Broekers uh, in particular because I know um, he's very excited about this, and the whole of the whole of the Netherlands are very very excited about this, and it, I think it'd be interesting in January to maybe get an interview for. Uh, midweek motorsport when we come back after the turn of the year either that first week when we're in Dubai and we'll be doing midday motorsport of course for that because of the time change um, and see if we can get Nick up to the booth uh, Nick Rick up to the booth uh, for that and have a bit of a, a special on what we expect them to see at Samford and then once they've raced there we can get them back on again and find out what the actually if I find out when the date is and I'm free I might even go over for that could be a bit of fun. Mm, it's March and it's in Zambor, so it's going to be chilly. I like chilly. I like chilly. Driving on a track with no grip, new surface, that'd be good. I'll take my licence. <laughs> on we go. Drifting. Meanwhile, which circuit is 80% complete? Vietnam. Vietnam, Vietnam yes. Mm. Going down back to Nam. Yeah, change by the corners didn't they they decide they've had to re- change one of the corners to slow it down slightly so they're making revisions as they speak to this hybrid street track and permanent circuit so a bit of permanent stuff and a bit of street so uh yeah i mean it's, it's a it'd be, it's a it looks like another interesting venue um let's see how well it goes you know there's a kind of a up or down with uh, with new venues entirely funded by the concept of tourism and, and pull through and you know, some of them work brilliantly like um uh singapore and some disappear very quickly, like Korea and India. Yeah. Um, whilst you speak of Singapore, and I may be preempting something, uh, Tim, so please Let's do stop me. Let's talk about Vietnam for a moment, shall we? All right, OK, go on. Go ahead. But remind uh, me, I want to come back to Singapore. It is a very cool city, says. The Vietnam tourist um, Sean Bratches. Herman Tilke. Oh gosh! <laughs> okay, definitely worth a visit, <laughs> he says. Uh, you'd think that it being a street track makes it easier, but it's not true. The public roads must all be completely relayed because they're not designed for Formula One. Yeah, I think anyone thinks it being a street track makes it easier. It just makes it quicker, um, and it makes it more on message of what they want to do. I don't think it makes it easier. The amount of time that we've We've seen street tracks that don't work the first time. That that story. Well, you suck up all the blooming manhole covers or something, or you designed a. Who was it? Formula E. You designed a call and no one can get round. No, it was A1GP. 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 
Um, although that happened with something China. else as well, didn't it? That, that was, went, for, I think, that was in Durban, but there was one in China, wasn't there? Was that a um, DTM? I was going to say GT. I thought they went GP. I thought. I thought, it was, it was the, I thought Formula E had a track in China they couldn't get round. Well, I'm pretty certain DTM did as well. Anyway, no. we're going off subject. Tell me what happened. Come back to Singapore. Uh, mention Singapore now, then, if you need to. But what? <laughs> why is what? What unique? place does Singapore hold in the Formula 1 calendar? It's a night race. All in the night, yes. Which former Formula 1 venue has just had all of its floodlights completed? Sipang. Yes. Just 730 miles away, isn't it? Mm. And of course it will be having an Asian Le Mans series race that will finish in the dark. Although it doesn't start in the dark. It starts in the late afternoon, dusk, and then goes into... Uh, the dark. And before you all shout Bahrain, Bahrain doesn't start in full dark. It goes into the dark. Apparently, it's in Singapore's... It's Abu Dhabi, not Bahrain. Bahrain's uh, fully in daylight. Is it? Yes. Abu Dhabi's the one that goes into the night. Oh, the Grand Prix? Right. Oh, yes. No, the Grand... no, 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 no. Bahrain Grand Prix goes into the night. Does it? Yes. Does that start happening? When they put the lights years in... Ago, when they put yeah. the lights in and they you... tested them out on the WEC, they only put half of them on, but it was yeah. part of the test for Formula One. So I was pretty certain. But you're right, um, with Abu Dhabi as well, um, they're running into darkness. Apparently, it's in Singapore's contract that they can be the only start and finish in darkness Grand Prix. Don't surprise me. Don't forget, know. with Sepang's biggest event of the year is MotoGP. And mm. the chance to move MotoGP to a more uh, European-friendly time zone shouldn't be ignored. No, I agree, and I do think it's uh, I think it's interesting that Asian Le Mans series are going to go there and finish in the dark in February. Is it? I think it is. Yeah, Valentine's Day weekend, if memory uh, is right. I mean, maybe it's the weekend before that, but it's certainly it's certainly February. Uh, anyway, moving on. Is that is that all we've got for Nick? Down? Uh, no? Definitely not. No. Okay. Uh, it's the 22nd to 24th of February, so it's uh, well after Valentine's Day. Wow. Back to Formula no, 1, no, though. No, 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 no. Not Sepang isn't. That's Buriram. No, that's Buriram the 10th to the 12th of January. No, oh, no, I'm that's looking at last place. year's calendar. You're looking at the wrong calendar, Tim. I am. You are. It's... My memory is bad, but calendar stuff, one of the reasons um, that Hang I know on, that that's, that's Tim's specialty calendar stuff. No, I, I, know, mean, I had the right calendar, it was just the wrong year. Yes. Uh, so, it. yes, they've swapped order then, so Sepang's going ahead of Buriram this year. Correct. Buriram is the final round, and it's on the same weekend as the rearranged FIA WEC event in Kota. Austin, Texas. Yes. Mm-hmm. And no it's also, overlap there. Well, um, it's Due to also... the fact that the time difference is 14 hours. It's also the same weekend as the Bobsleigh World Championships. Went to school with a Bobsleigh. Ironically, no interest in the sport. Mm. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, Red Bull set themselves a target in 2019 to win five Formula One Grand Prix. Did they achieve that, Nick Damon? No, they won three. Yes. It's their best year ever. It was uh, Max Verstappen's best year ever. Um, 
was it their yeah, best not. year ever? They've won the championship and dominated. With Rob Honda. Presley. It was also oh. a joke. It was their first year with Honda. Right. Okay. Sorry. I see what you mean. Yeah. All right. Okay. Uh, but Helmut Marco isn't blaming Honda for the fact that they only won three and got <laughs> nowhere near their target of five, which is still quite low when there's 21 races a season. Uh, what does he blame? Um, Mercedes being too good, um, and them not. It would be something, something, something ridiculous, esoteric. There's nothing to do with the fact their car wasn't that good out of the box. Did they have um, the wrong type of Did they have a small porcelain elephant facing in the wrong direction in the company headquarters, and it completely threw their chi out? Uh, Nick was actually quite close. <laughs> The chassis only started improving later into the season, said Marco. There were also unfortunate circumstances, Mm. such as crashes. That is unfortunate. Right. The unfortunate incident. Well, it's it's like... Most of the crashes that tend to be... be, uh, You know, of the the crashes that I can think of that happened involving um, Max, at least this year, two of them were completely not his fault when he was muddled by Ferraris twice. Um, by uh, Sebastian in um, Silverstone and by uh, Charles Leclerc in Suzuka. But the other times that people hit him when he got hit was entirely down. To Moses. Yes. Did any of them cost them about a race ones. victory? Did any of those crashes cost them a race victory? Um, yeah, the, the one thing that happened that did definitely cost him a race victory was uh, not slowing uh, for double wave yellow flags because he's been cocky after it during qualifying in Mexico. That definitely cost him a victory. Um, the rest of them did. He's a better chance of one. Yes, been good point. Good way to tell. Mm. But, okay, moving yeah, on. But, but yeah, it, part of the part of the narrative obviously is, is that he's had this fantastic season. Yeah, a good season. And it's been he's been the best driver of the year or something, which is rubbish. He hasn't been the best driver of the. year best driver you won the world championship so you know as we said before when he was doing really really well going yeah you're doing really really well but you're doing it with no pressure and we'll be talking about the Formula 1 world championship of course in depth when uh, Nick Damon uh, brings all of his knowledge to the table and there will be a table (laughs) um, in our Formula 1 review an actual table yeah will it have profiteroles on it almost certainly and will it have amphitheatre rolls? Because you need to have the balance of pro and am. Well, not in Formula One. <laughs> That's right. All our all our profiteroles rolls will have their super license. Yeah, they've all they've all done enough. They've all had enough points down through the year. Uh, keep an eye on the front page of radio-show.co.uk for our uh, review programmes, which are being liberally peppered throughout the uh, the playout uh, in the next few weeks uh, through our programming. And it's another uh, one on tomorrow will... night. What's tomorrow? Uh, tomorrow is the WeatherTech Sports Car Championship season review. Oh, where really? I believe Excellent. John Hindhoff will be joined by Jeremy Shaw and Shay Adam. Uh, will be. I don't think Jeremy's doing that one. I think nah. it'll be Shay. Um, He'll be joined by Jeremy... Shay Adam. Jeremy's going to come on board for the IndyCar, the IndyCar. season review. That's uh, the day after tomorrow. No, that's next week, isn't it? Next are we going to do? Are we going to do one for the um, IMSA support series as well? Yes, too? that's the day after tomorrow. That's Friday. If Friday. You're yes. Right, okay. Right, if, you're, okay. if you're listening to this not live, it might not be the day after tomorrow. But equally, you 
if you're not listening to this live, you probably won't listen to that live either. So you can listen whenever you want, including the day after tomorrow, whenever that day is. Moving on. Yes. What's George Russell done 218 times this week? Going round and round in circles with big, big wheels. How big? 18 inches. 18 inches. Mm. So he did a pretty tight test for the big wheels, uh, which are coming in for 2021. 2021 now is it i thought it was 2020 no 2021 they're coming in for for f1 they're coming in, the big wheels should be um trialed in 2020 for f2 i was very surprised actually the f2 test which we had last week they were still using the old wheels and tires i thought it'd be a chance to roll them out yes they have been doing um big tire testing for formula 2 quite a lot of it Still to come on midweek motorsport and is there any chance you could bring some dessert to the vo booth please uh, so in the second half of tonight's programme, uh, we will have uh, more of Nick Damon as he talks a bit of bikes. Sorry, I was caught uh, by that jingle there. Uh, and we'll have your tweets on the FIA and ACO regulations, please. What do you think of them? Rotary engine back in, uh, 50 kilograms of ballast to go in the hypercars uh, as well. Success ballast. Uh, and we'll have your nominations for the show of the year listeners award but coming up next on series 14 episode 47 of midweek motorsport we're talking sports cars with Shea adam specifically with some rolex 24 hours of daytona news that's next here on midweek motorsport midweek motorsport on rs1 Welcome to the show, Cher. How are you? Hello, I'm good. How are you? Hello. That is your prop. <laughs> that is your proper greeting. Uh, uh, you were at the Porsche Night of Champions uh, on was that Thursday last week or Friday? Remind me. Saturday. Oh, it was Saturday. Oh yes, because it was. Yep. Hang on, you left on Wednesday. No, you left. I on left th- on Wednesday. Landed Thursday. Right. Then had. Thursday went on a museum tour, which I did do some audio of, and I'm gonna try and edit it together so that it sounds like a program. Uh, send it over <laughs> to like Tim to drop in some okay. jingles. Mm. Yeah, not not the full appearance of a just you know like a sneaky ninja program. Um, yeah, and then Friday was the Porsche Motorsport North America night, which was a lovely dinner. Um, with Dr. Armbruster and a bunch of other important people. And then Saturday was the event itself. So it was a pretty cool weekend, all in all. Uh, And some changes to Porsche factory drivers. Yeah, so let's start with the people who are no longer factory um, or works pilots. Um, Timo Bernard and Jörg Bergster stepping away from driving after... Simply put, phenomenal careers. Those two guys are living legends. Timo, who runs a team now, very successful team in the ADAC uh, Germany, he's going to be focusing on that. Jörg is going to be taking on a new role in helping to develop new 991 streetcars. So neither of these guys stepping... 911, yeah. yeah. So neither one of them moving too far away from the brand. They're they're still going to be under the Porsche crest. They're just not going to be in the role of driver anymore. And for Jörg, is... for Jörg in particular, 
of course, that means he's reunited with Frank Stefan Walliser, who is now the head of all things 9-11. Exactly. Mm, and that was move. a big feature of the night. And particularly, you, you think about Porsche drivers who have perfected the art of driving the 9-11, no one more so than Jürgen Bergmeister. He's driven every model under the sun. He's raced in them. He's won in them. So he really is the perfect guy to take over that role. Um, they, go ahead. They also they also did a nice little thing, John, for Brendan Hartley, who leaves the mark after many successful years, two overall Le Mans wins. But we know that he's in the role in the World Endurance Championship with Toyota. But they did have that formal ceremony of him saying goodbye, saying, we appreciate everything you've done, but we acknowledge that you are no longer a works driver for Porsche. They did have some happy announcements, though. They announced that uh, Jam Jam, Matthew Jaminet, and young Matty Campbell are now full-fledged factory drivers. They've graduated from the junior program. Uh, Simona Di Silvestro joining Porsche as a factory driver. She's the reserve driver for Formula E, but she's also going to be racing for Timo's team in the ADAC GT, sharing a car with Klaus Backler, another former junior driver. And interesting. They mentioned Dennis Olsen. He's no longer a part of the mm. Porsche Young Professional Squad. He didn't graduate up to full factory status, and he didn't step away. Keep in mind, he just won a championship for Porsche about two weeks ago down at Kailami. But he is going to be in a Porsche full season, and I think that's a pretty good transition to uh, IMSA if you want to take it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and talking about IMSA, some changes to the driver lineups. A Big one. Patrick Pillay is no longer going to be a GT Le Mans driver. He's not going to be a full season driver, which means that out of our defending champion lineup, I think we have five now in IMSA in the GTLM class who are still actively participating. Pillay, who won the championship solo in 2015, um, it's going to be Tandy and Makviecki sharing the number 911 car with Matt Campbell joining them for the endurance races. And in the 9-12, well, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. It's Bamthor staying with Jam Jam. So Matthew Jaminet jumping in for the endurance races, Bamber and uh, Vantor staying on board for the full season. But it was a big bombshell to find out that Patrick was going to be leaving the full season squad because that's been his home since the merger. We haven't had an IMSA GTLM class without Patrick Pile. And, well, for that matter, we haven't had one with Jan Magnussen either. So it's going to be a very different-looking field by the time the green flag falls in about a month and a half. Uh, yeah, but Pele has got a drive already for Daytona, hasn't he? Yes. It? Yes, he does. And part of that comes with what I mentioned with Dennis Olsen. It's Olsen and Robichon full season for FAF racing. They've got a new sponsor on the car. They still have the plaid, though. Don't worry. So that's Matul, is it? the car. Half the car now shares uh, Motul, which is a big change for that organization. Yes. They've been Castrol-backed for mm-hmm. a long time. When they were informed that the Castrol deal was coming to an end, that that partnership would not be continued, Motul opened the doors. A conversation began, and sure enough, Motul comes on board, not just for a one-year sponsorship. That's the other interesting thing, too. Before but we... Pile in Pile in for Daytona, Lars Kern still on board for the Enduros. Uh, before we leave, Porsche uh, aiming for four GTE Pro cars at Le Mans again. That means they will need two discretionary entries. Uh, they've got two from mm. the 
WEC, of course, but if they want the IMSA cars there, they're not automatic entries. No, and it's a little bit strange because one of the IMSA cars was champion last year, but of course there's no auto entry for being an IMSA champion. So you have to win the Truman or the Aiken Award, and and we will get to that in another couple of minutes. But even though the 912 won the IMSA championship and beat out a lot of other good, stiff competition, they still don't automatically have the doors open to them for Le Mans. So a little bit of um, sitting and waiting, perhaps fingers crossed a little bit, waiting for when the announcement comes out to find out who is invited to participate in Le Mans. But I would be shocked the IMSA cars weren't invited as well. Uh, and what's the story about Anhakan Güven? The Turkish driver who has been selected as the Porsche Junior this year alongside Julian Andlauer, a very nice young man, met him at the banquet and then subsequently saw him at the airport the next morning. Very quiet. He was second in Super Cup this year. Mm. So it's a little bit of a different... Um, a, a, a different principle, I suppose. Traditionally, Porsche Juniors not participated in the Super Cup previously. Well, Anghang has not only come in second in Super Cup to Michael Amemuller, who's just a beast, won that championship three times now. He won the Carrera Cup France, too. So he's got a lot more experience on his side than traditional Porsche Juniors do. Uh, this is Cher Adam on the line from Fort Lauderdale. We're live on Midweek Motorsport Series 14, uh, episode 47, 11th of December, uh, where we are at the moment. Uh, let's carry on with the sports car news uh, with Shea. Um Now, uh, oh, I know. We'll talk about uh, another couple of female drivers uh, joining in for uh, the Rolex 24 Daytona. We have got a full lineup now. It seems like this week has been, hey, let's dump our full lineups on everybody week. Yes. Um, but There was a lot of TBAs in before uh, yeah. this last week, wasn't there? Yeah. Yes. And actually funny that you mentioned that. I had a question from a driver yesterday saying, hey, is there an entry list? Is there anything that we're yeah. going to get? And I wrote back and said, no, not until about the week before, the Wednesday before the Rolex. And he goes have you maybe done one up just, you know, rudimentary? And so I sent him along what I had done. And he goes, huh, you've got a lot of empty spaces in there that aren't empty. And I said, yeah, that's part of the problem. You've got puzzle piecing at this stage. But we appreciate it when teams make their announcements. Gear is one of the most recent to do so. Christina Nielsen and Catherine Legg full season in that Lamborghini. It'll be Bia back in the car, Bia Figueiredo, for the endurance races for the Michelin Endurance Cup. And Tatiana Calderon joining them for yeah. Daytona. So she gets to make her debut. If we stay in that shop, in that uh, location where the Lamborghini is being held, we are waiting to find out an official announcement about another team, another former Lamborghini team in IMSA joining ranks with the um, – Grasser team, the GRT organization, but there was a rumor that started earlier today about potentially a third Lamborghini appearing from that organization. And while sticking with Lamborghini, I saw earlier today on Facebook a completely informal but um, announcement nonetheless 
that PPM intends to come back to Daytona as well. So we could have a full fleet of Lamborghinis running in the 24. Uh, and it's that just for the 24 as far as we know? Yes, yeah, okay. just for the 24. Um, and then we'll find out if it turns into a Michelin Endurance Cup or whatnot. But we've gotten so many announcements. And actually, staying with the Starworks shop, we have the Starworks announcement last week, John, with Tower Racing coming into LMP2. Ryan Dial, John Ferrano, and uh, David Hedemeyer Hansen, three of our favorite guys. Mm. Right now, it's only the endurance races. It's only those four, but they are really trying to put together enough budget and, for the program to be able to complete the full season. Let's go back to uh, the uh, Grasser Racing car that you mentioned with uh, Catherine Legg and Christina Nielsen because their old team, Heinrich Racing, with... Uh, MSR that car that yep. uh, that team hasn't disappeared and the 57 uh, now a full season entry but with new drivers with a very solid driver lineup so full season Alvaro Barro Perent we've been waiting a long time to say that joining forces with Misha Goikberg that's an interesting move because that means that he is stepping away from the prototype and JDC they still have a second Cadillac we don't know who the drivers are going to be but it's not Misha because he's going to be in the Acura they've got Trent Hinman the defending champion in GTD joining that lineup for the endurance races and then good old AJ Allmendinger jumping in the car for the Daytona 24 trying to go back and get another watch Uh, let's talk about uh, the uh, some of the GTD efforts we mentioned, Heart of Racing, Aston Martin being confirmed. I'm not sure yet of the drivers on that, but that won't be the only Aston yep. Martin in GTD at the Rolex, as we're hearing today. Uh, a couple of races for Paul Delalana in GT3 in early 2020. Did you feel the happiness radiating yes. from Sarah Rigby, John? Uh, yes, did. Paul Delalana coming back to Daytona, this time in an Aston Martin. Finally, it's about time that he returns in the make that he clearly represents very well. It's Mateus Lauda, Ross Gunn, and Pedro Lamy joining him in that GTD car. What a lineup. And of course, with the race moving, the WEC round in Brazil becoming a race at Cirque the Americas, that also means that Paul is now looking at running Bathurst and trying to figure out a way to do the double once more as well. Yeah, that's very good. Uh, they'll be up against Scuderia Corsa with a brand new Ferrari 488 Evo. Yes, Cooper McNeil, Tony Valander off testing that last week over in Italy. They are joined once again by Jeff Westfall for the Michelin Endurance Cup, but... Alessandro Balzan is back. He's going to be making his North American return to racing at the 24 Hours of Daytona. Solid lineup. New car. Should be a good one. Uh, Let's go to some prototype news. Performance Tech uh, working on a plan for a Le Mans entry. Now, this is what you were talking about earlier on, about the two effectively at-large discretionary entries, if you will, from IMSA. Correct, because uh, Cameron Castles was the recipient of the Truman Award, I believe, the Jim Truman Award, which is an automatic entry for the 24 Hours of Le Mans. They're working very hard on that. We should be getting an announcement tomorrow about their full season plans, including the endurance drivers and whatnot, but I wouldn't expect too much change from this organization. And uh, Colin Brown, 
uh, one of the tastiest yeah. drivers without a job. Uh, no full season, but will have a Daytona drive. He's going to have a good opportunity to get another Rolex racing in the LMP2 category. I, I think there's going to be six or seven cars in there this year, John. So not as few as we perhaps expected. But Colin Brown, not a free agent. Richard Westbrook still is, which is blowing my mind because yes. I don't understand how a man who has finished first or second at every single one of the IMSA tracks doesn't have full season uh, employment. But hey, that that's an, another story. Um, and uh, as we, we should really talk about the uh, uh, Michelin Pilot Challenge uh, as well. So we will. Uh, Bimmer World. <laughs> Bimmer World coming back. Two cars, full season. It's going to be Devin Jones and James Clay in the 82, as we have grown used to, grown accustomed to. Nick Galanti comes home. He is going back to Bimmerworld and back to GS, sharing the other car, the 80, with with Dylan McIvern. That is going to be a very enticing lineup for the full season. Both guys winning their respective championships in the same year. They've never done it together, though. They might be able to do it this year. Now, Nick Gallant leaves Fast MD, but they're not hanging yeah. about. They want to have two cars <laughs> in the championship as well. Yeah, they have announced that they are going to be running two cars. It was a bit of an up-and-down season for them. They started with the third at Daytona and then didn't get on the podium again until their race win at VI, which was a very emotional one. But two cars, James Vance has already been confirmed as a part of the team. We don't know who he'll be sharing with. We don't know who's going to be driving in the other car just as of yet. Uh, And Pat Long is back and uh, teaming up with a fast young driver in, guess what, a Porsche. (laughs) Right full season. We got the announcement earlier. Uh, Actually, it was Saturday. It was timed up perfectly with the Night of Champions. Plongy joining forces with Ryan Hardwick. We saw Ryan driving the right Porsche at the Encore. He got a taste for what it's like, but sharing with one of the best in the business. That's going to be a very fun duo to watch. And uh, our big story this week is WEC and the new regulations. One of the drivers who will be hoping he's involved in that is Mike Conway. He picked up three British Racing Driver Club awards at their ceremony uh, on Monday. And he's back at Daytona. He's, he's, he's got a bit of unfinished business there. It's one of those things that you read the driver announcement, John, and kind of feel bad for every other team showing up. We had that reaction last year when it was Fernando Alonso and Kobayashi joining forces with Ranger Van de Zanda and Jordan Taylor. This year, it swings the other way. Felipe Nazar, Pipo Durrani, Philippe Albuquerque, and Mike Conway in the Whalen Engineering Cadillac for Daytona. Everyone else definitely read that announcement and felt a bit of trepidation because those four drivers working in the same car, they've been teammates before in the past. They've never all four shared the same car though. They are going to be the odds on favorite going into the roar to take the pole position. Because remember the roar counts. The roar is how you set the pit lane for the Rolex 24. Mm. And typically the people further toward the pit in end, which is the part that you want to be at, they tend to win the race so it is worth fighting for. Those guys are going to be on for pole position. Those guys are going to be on for four shiny new Rolexes. Yeah, very good. They'll be expecting a decent run. Lots of news 
uh, there this week. Uh, and all, or at least mostly all of the gaps are filled in from what we know for the Rolex 24 at Daytona. Uh, still room for a few more. And I just wonder whether there might be the odd one or two entries still to come. We'll find out when we get to the Raw first weekend of January. Share will be there with our usual roundup programmes uh, from that weekend. The uh, Raw before the Rolex 24. Uh, that is, that's the uh, 3rd, 4th and 5th, I think, uh, of uh, January. Shay, thanks very much for joining us tonight. Thanks, John. I'm ready. Put me in, coach. Put me in. All right. See you soon. Shay Adam, don't, uh, oh, don't say goodbye to us, says uh, Tim. Oh, all right. Okay. Are you still there, Shay? Maybe he is ready to put me in. Well, clearly. Uh, just before in we a bit. go back to her <laughs> earlier on, in uh, right at the start of the programme, one of our listeners has gone uh, to the Derby County Sheffield Wednesday game. Um, and if he's supporting Derby, which I think he said he was, he's not having a good night. Chef Wed up by a, a goal to nil at the baseball ground. Tim, what do you need from Shea? Uh Just to uh, hang around and uh, sit quietly in the background for a moment, because we're going to go back to Nick Damon and uh, going to talk for a bit about two-wheeled motorsport. Oh. And uh, the surprise news uh, that Johan Zarco... Uh, is going to be racing for the Avintia Ducati squad in 2020. Um, who's it a surprise to? No one. Why is that? Yeah. Because it's been widely trailed for at least uh, four or five weeks. They've even sacked Carol Abraham to give him the space. And apart from him lusting after that uh, Honda slot that was briefly available until uh, uh, Alex Marquez took it, it's been his um, obvious refuge from the disaster of KTM and say for need to, uh, no, six weeks. Uh, what did he initially say about uh, the move? Ever since I was a small boy. When it was first suggested, he said, they're not a top team, I'd rather go back to Moto2. Yeah, yeah. That was a, that was a very positive thing to say. Uh, I think he's they obviously managed to negotiate a slightly better version of the Ducati bike. There's always been some promises about potential um, promotions if he proves himself. I mean, they're, they're not very happy uh, with Dino Petrucci uh, in the works team. Um, Jack Miller obviously is, is circling that ride, but obviously Jack Miller's bike is effectively full works as well. So it's again, it's a, it's a stepping stone. He's, he's made, he made a mistake in going to KTM, and he's now got a chance to step back forward and back on the uh, the, the momentum which he lost ever since um, he had that terrible weekend at Le Mans two years ago now. His teammate will be Tito Rabat. What is you so that much of a challenge about uh, Tito Rabat? He's the only um, active MotoGP ra- ra- racer named after a former Yugoslavian dictator. You started off with so much promise there. Um, <laughs> and a North African capital city. Uh, in that he is the only active MotoGP rider who has a contract that doesn't end at the end of the 2020 season. Wow. Really? He has a contract to the end of 2021, whereas everyone else uh, will be out of contract at the end of next season. Wow, that's a fabulous start. That is a fabulous start. So there's only three F1 drivers who are out of contract at the end of next year. Mm -hmm. There are only three F1 drivers who are not out of contract at the end of next year as well. Yes. 
I'll so 17 I, of the 20 are out of contract. I'm, I'm going to say right now that despite that fabulous, uh, exciting possibility in Formula One, there will be more changes on the MotoGP grid in terms of who switches bikes, manufacturers and teams than there will be in Formula One. Or retires. Retires is that one, yes. Mm, yes, good point. Retirement and promotions, I think you're going to see. What, on, on, on MotoGP or in F1 or both? Yeah. No, MotoGP. Right. Uh, we now know the full grid for MotoGP next year, don't we? Yes, that's, that, that is all signed, sealed, delivered. And, yeah, they've, they've got all the, all the, the, the bikes uh, allocated. And let's hope, let's hope that no one hurts themselves between now and then. Everyone starts the season healthy because that tends never to be the way, doesn't it? Someone throws it off big style and one of the tests and is mm. uh, nursing a relocated shoulder or he's busted a wrist or something. So yeah, let's, let's see if we can get a nice, healthy gang out there and uh, I think have at it and see if anyone can get anywhere near Honda and Mark Marquez. On the subject of uh, bike contract news, mm. John McGuinness mm-hmm. has a contract to do the Isle of Man TT with Norton. Does he? Yes. Again? But he might, he might not be racing the Isle of Man TT with Norton. Is it because their bike, once again, won't actually be legal? I can't really say too much at the minute. I'm still under contract with Norton, so I've got to get around the table with him to see if we're going to go forward with that or not, said McGuinness. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah, has he got something else lined he? up then? The Ducati was sensation. I really, really enjoyed it. I really didn't know what to expect. I was a bit nervous as they were big shoes to fill with it being the championship winning bike. Mm-hmm. What, he's been, he's been on Scott Redding's PSB bike, has he? Uh, he rode a Ducati at the Macau Grand Prix, didn't he? Uh, right. Well, you know, I... Year, and uh, it'll be less weird this year, but let's see if they do it or not. Mr. McGuinness is not backwards in coming forwards when he talks about motorcycles. Remember, he had a big falling out with Honda um, in 2017, which led him getting on to um, the Norton in 2018. So he's he's not going to put himself out there. He's a he's a good rider, and you know, he's, he, particularly on the island, he's one of the best. And he's not going to put himself out there if he doesn't think he has a chance of winning. John McGuinness does not go to the Isle of Man to make up the numbers, Nick, does he? I would hope that no one goes to the Isle of Man to make up the numbers. It's a very risky thing to do if you are making up the numbers there, isn't it? No, but he's, I mean, he's got a certain reputation. All right, I'll put it another way. He's got a certain reputation to cable. There are people who will go to the Isle of Man and, you know, if they've got a ride and they're yeah. getting paid for it, they'll make the best of it. And whilst they're under contract for those people, you know, they keep their mouth shut, they keep their visor down, they do what they need to do, and they go off. And if they've got a couple of years of a contract or whatever, great stuff. If it's a single-year contract, right, whatever. John McGuinness and the and the island, uh, and, and road racing in particular, actually, um, public road racing, whether it's in Ireland or whether it's on the Isle of Man, he's got a reputation to keep up, and he cannot... I don't think he's the sort of guy who wants to feel like he's not going there 
with, an, with a chance to win. If he makes a mistake, if he falls off, if he has an issue, oh, yeah, okay, fine. But he's, I think he's got to know that he's going there with a bike and he had problems with those bikes, um, the Nortons, in both the classes on the island this year. And I, I, I think that, you know, and if you, you know, Nick, you ride a bike on the road and you've done um, circuit riding as well. I cannot imagine what it must be like going out on the Isle of Man and not having confidence that the bike's going to do exactly what you needed to oh, do. Impo- impossible, impossible. Well, I know they are otherworldly and differently minded, but you still, you have, to, yeah, you have to have total confidence to get anywhere near the speeds you need to do these things around the island because you've got to believe it's going to hang together and everything you say it's going to do. Because otherwise, it's not just oh, I'm going up in the gravel and it's going to look a bit silly. You're going up in a lamppost and could well end up in the morgue. So mm-hmm. it's uh, it's a much bigger risk at the, at the TT. Uh, Finally, and... with bikes, mm-hmm. poor old Johnny Ray again. <laughs> What's he happened to him this time? Well, once again, nothing. Uh, last week we reported. Was it last week or the week before? Two weeks, Two weeks ago. ago, we reported that he had been controversially snubbed by the BBC. Yes. Uh, for their uh, sports personality shortlist. Mm-hmm. This week, uh, RTE, which is Ireland's state broadcaster, mm-hmm. has uh, announced a shortlist for its uh, sports personality awards, and yet again, he hasn't made it. I'd like to point out, he is my nomination of Man of the Year in the Man of the Year show next week. Yes. Voting for that so, opens uh, as soon as this show ends, so uh, more about that in the second hour. Um. Uh, does he get two bites at the sports personality of the the year because he's Northern Irish and therefore um, counts still as part of the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, yes. but also he's from the island of Ireland, therefore RTE, which is the Irish national broadcaster. He gets a shot at that as well. Yes, they have picked three uh, sports uh, people from Northern Ireland, uh, mm. but Johnny Ray, not one of them. That's, he was last year. Two, two runners he? and a gymnast. He he. Um, I are you sure that they've picked two runners and a gymnast? Yes, I can tell you their names if you want. No, no, no. Are you sure that he was snubbed? Yes. Um, because I'm just looking at the story here. Posted on the 28th of November, five times consecutive World Superbike champion Johnny Ray has been announced as one of the nominees for the RT Sports Award. That was the long list. First of the year. Oh, so he was on the long list. Yes. And how did they knock it down then? Uh, they culled it from about 40 people to 10. But was that by a public I'm sorry, vote? He's not in the experts? top 10 people in Ireland. Correct. Well, that is, um, you know, no offence, but you know, they think what. Eight or nine million people in Ireland. I think that's ridiculous. I mean, I'm sure Declan will now tell me exactly the population of Ireland. But come on, boys. <laughs> Sorry, but but the question is, he was on the long list. Um, yes. So how did they call it? Was that by an original public vote, like we do with no. our listener award? No. Right. So that was just by what? Well, whatever their They're panel experts. decided, yes. Right. Four, 4,882,495 was the population of Ireland at the mid-year in 2019, according to the UN. Okay. Uh, so, Seamus Callanan, 
the uh, mm-hmm. captain of Tipperary. Mm-hmm. Uh, Stephen Cluxton. I don't uh, think we need to go w. through these. Neve Kilkenny. We're going to that, aren't no, we? I... No, okay. No. Are there any motorsports people in there? No. So the winner of the Connor Kil- Kilty Black Pudding Irish Rally Championship it didn't make it either? No. Oh, that's, I think that's a shocker too. <laughs> uh, I think that's all we have for Nick Damon, though. Oh, thank you very much, and speak to you next week. Will you be uh, dressing up for the awards next week, Nick? Too oh, blinking see. right, even though having heard all the nominations, I think I haven't got many. I haven't got much chance on winning many of them. I'm, I'm, I'm a holding out Johnny Ray. It is a it's competition. Not... Life's a competition, John. It's not a competition. You, you you make your nominations, and then you leave it open to democracy. I think uh, Nick's uh, got some quite strong contenders in many of these categories. Lando Norris is going to get a lot of votes. Mm-hmm. As a young driver, Mercedes's team is going to get a lot of votes. Mm-hmm. Um, German Grand Prix was a great race as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And obviously, I've done, Ray. done very bad the last couple of years. I'm just hoping for a bit of a comeback. You can only put your manifesto out there, and you've got to let the people decide, Nick. Yes, but what I really needed was the Daily Mail to get behind me, wasn't it? Well, maybe they will. <laughs> We've got a week. That's right. I'll phone them up and see if I can get that at the front page of the mail on, online. Vote, Vote Lando, Toto, Formula E, and yes. Uh, thank you, Nick. For listening to Midweek Motorsport Series 14. This is episode 47. And I'm glad we did hold on to Shay Adam. Because? You forgot to talk about uh, Jean-Marc Gunon. He's back, Shay. He is back. Yeah, Joel Gunion uh, getting another shot at Daytona. Remember, he was a part of that Audi that finished second so close across the line a couple years ago. But joining up with Meyer Shank Racing in the 86. So we got the announcement about Heinricher Racing earlier on in the week with their 57, the formerly known as Caterpillar car. For the championship winning car, though, it's Mario Farnbacher and Matt McMurray for the full season. Joel coming in for Daytona. Only Shinya Mishimi joining them for the Michelin Endurance Cup. It's a really intriguing lineup. Shinya Mishimi is a former Lamborghini Super Trofeo uh, championship winner. Uh, and, I mean, he knows how to pedal those cars. He does, but Lamborghini quite different from the Acura. It's going to be a, a bit of a learning experience for Shinya because. He drove in the Lamborghini at Petit Le Mans, and he was super fast in qualifying. But how well do you adapt when you've only ever driven one kind of car? It's going to be an interesting process for him to go through and learn. And the same goes for Joel, because he hasn't driven the Acura yet. He's driven Porsches, Audis, and of course, being a Bentley boy, he's very familiar with the big, uh, big heavy cars. Acura is not a big, heavy car. It's going to be difficult for both of them and and throw Matt into that category, too, to try and get up to speed with Mario, who won the championship in this car in 2019. And uh, Gilles Gounon, by the way, uh, the the driver, not Jean-Marc, as I said to uh, Tim, so that's that's my fault. Uh, Let's take uh, one or two of your tweets on the regulations. Uh, and uh, 
new hypercar. Ben says, is the inclusion of multiple top McCarthy regs meant to cover the likes of Toyota or Peugeot are building prototypes with styling rather than one of their road-going cars? Had a skim through the LMP1 regs, and it seems as previous, but the uh, hypercar specifies a road car. Part of the hypercar uh, uh, regs specify a road car, but you can't... you can have a uh, purpose-built racing car. Uh, but we, we are talking about the potential of six different categories there, Ben, uh, in terms of the current LMP1 hybrid and LMP1 non-hybrid, and then either hybrid or non-hybrid of hypercar road car or hypercar prototype. Uh, extraordinary. But, uh, I mean, you know, uh, fair play to the ACO share. All of these manufacturers have been clearly lobbying and now the ACO have basically said well we've given you the widest regulations uh, possible come and come and race yeah they've given everyone the lack of excuse to say oh well there was no room for me well they've pretty much said build it and come to us and then we'll find a place for you they've almost gone a little bit creventic in that sense John that mm. they're trying to be very inclusive yeah uh, absolutely agree uh, with that. A lot of people saying they're very interested in the hybrid regulations. Master have been looking for something to do, Cher. And as John DeGee said uh, he, when he was on the show earlier on, uh, that uh, um, there's talk of Mazda bringing a rotary engine back to their road car range. So that, that really is uh, an opportunity for them should they want to do it. Yeah, and that's a, a brand that really is about racing to make their streetcars better. So it, it wouldn't be a surprise to see them accomplish something that they've wanted for so long, i.e. going back to Le Mans in a manner that only benefit, well, mostly benefits their streetcar product. I, I think that would be the best of all possibilities, particularly if the rules are open to allow it. That's even better. Uh, Scooby-Doo says there's too many different uh, cars here. Non-hybrid will be a waste of time because hybrid will always have the edge. You'd think so. You would think so, but not necessarily. Uh, It'll all depend on how reliable they are when they come to the track and maybe the extra complication of a hybrid system might not be uh, as easy to do. Uh, A number of people pointing out that what we've got is what we've got because homologation is now closed for 2020, <laughs> 2021. That's great because we haven't got any cars yet. We actually haven't yeah, got any that, cars. That works really well. Um, on that note, actually, John, there's a documentary that Ford just put out not very long ago about their return to Le Mans. And there was a scene in particular where they were talking about homologating the cars that they had built to be prepared to go back to Le Mans. And it was a very interesting conversation over how much more development do we want to do before we send the cars to get homologated because then we're sort of trapped well now the wec is in a situation where in theory in the rules on paper everybody's trapped but nobody's actually built the car (laughs) Uh, final homologation documents according to table 20.5.1 are due four months uh before uh presume that's the first race five months before inspection and uh, CAD bodywork final draft homologation documents 
six months. But if you go all the way back, 11 months, the survival cell has to be submitted as a card, and the validation is 10 months. So that's all already should have happened. But the general presentation and the H1 homologation form has to have been submitted in September of this year. So that's not happening. Now, I am absolutely certain that there will be a catch-all that says at the series, at the organisers' discretion. Yeah, there has to be. Because otherwise, these companies are going to need to forget about building hypercars. They're going to need to start building time machines. Ooh, very good. Uh, Stuart Hart says, those going with a road car route will already have an existing or a planned model. For others, a pure prototype will be more cost-effective. Some even building a road car version of the prototype, like Toyota and Glickenhaus. OEMs can spend what you like. The point is, you can, you can be competitive, he says, in these regs, with a modest uh, budget. Uh, Brabham now favour hypercar over GTE while we could see brands like Alpine with a badging exercise as a route into the top class Um, Brabham BT62 actually making its uh, Australian competition debut at the classic meeting at Tail and Bent coming up shortly Hmm. uh, as as well Uh, you mentioned Ford sorry go ahead and in fairness I mean Brabham is a smart man. He's, he's leading our company looking at the chances of winning your class. You've got a much better chance of doing it in hypercar than you do in GTE pro Mm. just by volume of entries. No, uh, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. You mentioned Ford, um, Ford have been sort of hinting that they want to do uh, DPI 2.0, but they've definitely said that anything they do has to have a hybrid in it. Could you see, Ford looking at at these regulations, Shay. You you know you've been close to the the organisation, particularly with uh, with Chip Ganassi when they were running the Ford program. The want to win Le Mans overall is definitely something that lives in the the lifeblood of Ford. It's something that harkens back to their four great years in the sixties. I don't know that the people are still there in the same manner that they were when the Ford GT made its return to Le Mans in 2016. There's been a lot of personnel change. And to be honest, I don't know if the people there have Le Mans on their minds. It could be argued to come back to Daytona, but I don't know if there's enough ambition to take it to a global scale when so much of Ford, even here at the home base, I mean, for goodness sakes, our Mustangs are being built on Ford F-150 chassis. So it's a very different looking outlook now than it was even four years ago. Uh, you listen to Midweek Motorsport Series 14, episode 47. We're going through some of your tweets uh, in the last 15 minutes or so. Uh, here's a slightly different one. This is uh, on the uh, Johnny Ray being snubbed by RTE, the Irish broadcaster. He says that if you think RAA uh, being snubbed, uh, if you think Johnny Ray being snubbed by RTE's bad, did you know that he's only once won the BBC Northern Ireland Sports Car uh, Sports Personality of the Year in 2017, whereas Rory McIlroy Roy has won it three times. Oh my Ooh, goodness! Ouch. Mm, yeah. <laughs> uh, very good. Uh, and speaking of nominations, it is that time because next week we will be having the show of the year. Shea was going to get. Oh. 
Steady Harvey. <laughs> she was getting very excited that she was going to have to dress up tonight, but that's next week. It's next week we dress up. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I don't think my feet could take it. Heels to these close in a row. I'm wearing heels next week. I don't care what anybody says. Uh, the pink ones? If, if you're going to lend me them again. Sure. They're a bit they, they fit John better, though. Well, they're obviously too tight no, on you, do. Shay. No, they're too big. They're too big for me. I've got smaller feet than Shay, <laughs> remarkably. <laughs> um, let's. Uh, so next week is the show of the year. Uh, our nominations. We revealed them last week, and the voting page will be going live after this show. Tim. It's live now. Is it live now? Ooh. I'm very excited. I'm gonna. Let's see if I can. Uh, Get, where, where is that? Where am I looking for that? On, on the, front the front page page of the website. Oh, very excited. It's the one that says Midweek Motorsport Series 14, episode 47. Right. So you've put that up or, uh, with the voting thing on. Okay, fine. Uh, and, right, so we haven't quite got the archive there yet because the show the is not still finished. not finished yet. <laughs> yes. But <laughs> makes it makes it difficult hey, to do machine. that. Uh, okay, there we go. So that's gone on. Um, so th- all of our categories are up. There is one category. Is the, is the, is the final category up there, Tim? Have it I- is. Right, right at the bottom. Right at the bottom. Let me scroll down. So now we can reveal then the listener awards. The listener's award. This was compiled from your suggestions from last week. And in no particular order, they are for his comeback from a... Awful accident uh, earlier in the in last season. Robert Wickens uh, from IndyCar uh, for Sterling Service, and I like this one. This is a lifetime achievement award. Uh, completing his 100th 24-hour race at the Circuit of the Americas uh, in November. Jim Briody for the way he reacted after the Le Mans result was overturned and coming back to win at the 24 hours of Texas in his own state, Ben Keating is nominated in the listeners award and uh, we've put a couple of things together here, For also from IMSA this one, this got a lot of nominations uh, John Doonan and Mazda Racing for the summer of Mazda and their return to form with Multimatic and their uh, RT24P. So Robert Wiggins, Jim Briody, Ben Keating and Mazda Racing are your four choices for the Listener's Award. I won't go through everybody else's choice again, but they are all there. And remember the Listener's Award. Think of it like the Forge Line Spirit of the Race Award that we had in the Michelin Pilot Challenge this year. This is like the Spirit of the Year awards the person or team in this case that you think uh, best represented whatever version of the sport they have been involved in vote early and vote often uh, as they used to say in certain uh, in certain areas of the world and next week then tim we will do all the adding up and have the show yes remember that votes close on Tuesday night at uh, 23.59 GMT. Right, that's to allow us to get them to uh, our... Independent auditors. Independent auditors. For the counting. Yeah, uh, for the counting. We do normally get a lot 
uh, well, we do. This. Uh, okay, so and that obviously uh, all, oh, not all of the nominees, but a lot of the nominees will uh, suddenly discover this on social media and uh, start directing their fans. And uh, it's interesting. Well, we could follow. No, no Corvette uh, on the nominees this this year, so uh, we're not going to have a ooh, lot of uh, Corvette voting, ooh. block voting like we have in the past. Hmm. Uh, yeah, that's true. That, and and I'm surprised actually because um, we we have um, it's a it's an important year share for for Corvette uh, this year, uh, and the last year of the front engine car. Yeah, but I I get it. it. And if you can't tell, this is actually hurting me to say because my Corvette racing inner fangirl is saying, shut up. Um, they didn't do anything to really deserve it this year, though. And I feel that that will be rectified next year. They didn't win a race this year, got a couple of pole positions, but that was ultimately the biggest awards that they went home with at the end of the day. Um, Corvette with the new car, the C8R, and we're still waiting to find out who their endurance drivers are going to be. We haven't even heard a whisper of who that is as of yet. Um, yeah, Corvette looking to bounce back for 2020. But, but John, you said something earlier about the voting. You said it's not a competition. Come on, people. It is a competition. Vote not for my competition. picks. Come on. <laughs> that was a very, very, um, What's the word I'm looking for? That laugh. Maniacal. Like, not maniacal. It was quite macabre almost. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, right, you're listening to Midweek Motorsport Series 14, episode 47. That's all next week. So Let's do something for this week. Now, just before, uh, I've had a question about this. What happens to people listening on the archive? For, for next week's show, you have to listen live next week. If you only ever listen to one show live, it has to be next week because we, we've we've done all of the uh, all of the voting closes on Tuesday at midnight, as as Tim says. Are we closing the listener award then as well, Tim, or are we going to leave that open? All closes. Oh, okay, right, okay, okay. So. If you're only listening to this on Monday, get your, get your votes in straight away. If you're listening to thoughts on Tuesday, you've got very little time. If you're listening to this on uh, Wednesday the 18th, sorry, Forty- too late. Votes <laughs> closed. All right. Now, let's move on to this. All right. And now, from Norwich, it's the Quiz of the Week. Today's top prizes include a three-piece lounge suite, and as Carol's discovered, it offers the last word in comfort. It's in pale green with a rose motif, and it's on offer for £110. But now, let's meet the man who asks the questions and pays out the money, Nicholas Parsons. We need to revoice that as Tim Gray. Yes, I'm not sure he's still alive. <laughs> well, no, Tim Gray's Aww. still alive. I can hear him talking now. What's this to do with then? Time machine. Uh, this is an auction. Yes, again, I, I of guess course, that. which is uh, how we do Dale of the Century. Yeah. Uh, 
we have some auction that happened uh, not long ago, a couple of weeks ago. Is this classic cars? This is uh, some classic cars. Ah, I was looking at that. <laughs> so you're right, I probably do know all the answers. <laughs> <Theater>. <laughs> <laughs> so first of all, we're looking at a 2019 Porsche 911 GT2 RS Club Sport. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yes, gorgeous looking car in the photo. Mm-hmm. Has... Uh, has a livery of uh, someone that we're not allowed to talk about anymore. Uh, and the number two really? on the side of it. So is it a race car or a road car? This is a valley car. Oh, yes. Oh, okay. One of just 200 built. It's as new throughout with zero miles. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, let's go with Shay first. Is it how much I would pay for it or how much, how much I think it went for? Because yeah. those are... Okay. Uh, obviously, if you were Nick Damon, two... you'd pay nothing for it because it's a rally car. Mm. Oh, I would pay a lot for that. Um, let's say £220,000. And John? All right, it's half a million dollars. Well, you're both wrong because it failed to sell. Really? Yes. <gasps> no. That was that was cheating. Oh. Uh, next, this is a uh, Ferrari One Two Six C Two, a Formula One car from nineteen eighty two. Did that uh, not sell either? Are you doing all the ones that didn't sell? Uh, is that what you <laughs> want to guess? I can tell you some more about this car. Oh, go on then. Uh, this is the sole surviving original 126C2 of the seven that were made. It was driven to victory in the 1982 German Grand Prix by Patrick Tombe. Uh, and it was also uh, uh, this one. had a podium finish and pole position in the hands of Mario Andretti in the Italian Grand Prix that year. Uh, subsequently, it was owned by uh, two prominent Ferrari collectors, Jacques Sesson and Michael Wilms. Right. Uh, it's presented in red. Uh, with number 27 on it. Uh, John, you can go first with this. Uh, if this is the one I'm thinking of, and I did, this is why I started looking at this auction, um, I think this went for a lot less than people expected. I think this went for $300,000. Shay, what would you like to say? Um, $780,000. Uh, well, Shay's closer. Really? It sold for two million one hundred forty-three thousand seven hundred fifty dollars. Wow! I thought that was the all right. Okay, fine. Uh, next, back to the Porsches. This is a Porsche nine eleven Carrera RS two point seven Touring from nineteen seventy three. Lovely. It is a lovely Ooh. looking car. It's in a mustard yellow. Yeah. Ooh. Although Porsche probably have a different cut and name for that, do they? <laughs> <laughs> Almost certainly, it's not mustard yellow. Uh, it's been fully restored uh, and retains its original engine. It's one of oh, Porsche's colour is a signal yellow. There we go. Does it have the uh, Does yellow. it have the Carrera down the side? The ducks it, it tail does, spoiler. Yes. yes. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, Hundred and ninety. And John. Well, if you paid $500,000 for it, you were getting a bargain, and I think it was probably more than that, but um, I'll say $500,000 because I, it, I've got to be closer than she on that. Uh, 
This is another one that failed to sell. Oh. No. Next, we have a Ferrari F2002. This is a Formula One car mm-hmm. from 2002, oddly enough. Driven to victory Funny. in three Formula One Grand Prix by Michael Schumacher at San Marino, Austria and France. Although, if you remember the 2002 Austrian Grand Prix, wasn't that the one where he and Barrichello had to swap places? Or was that a different year? Don't know. Uh, he also got pole in Spain, and it's a car in which he won the fifth of his world championships. Right. Uh, The engine and transmission does need a rebuild. Does it? Yes. So we're not going to bit off for that, are we? Yes. (laughs) Well, it's got Schumacher. Am I going first or is she going first? Uh, Your turn to go first. You go first. All right. Um, If it's a Schumacher car... Given that the one two six went for whatever millions you said for, I think that's going to be about six and a half million dollars. And Shay, I'll say four. Uh, John gets the point here. It's six point six four three seven five zero six million six hundred forty three thousand seven hundred and fifty pounds. See, I would have paid a penny over six and a half because it needs that engine and gearbox rebuild. And not only does it need yeah. it. You will get that because um, before it's delivered to you, it will go to Ferrari. It will have its engine and ah. uh, gearbox rebuilt at your cost, mm-hmm. uh, and then it will be <laughs> delivered to you uh, at Fiorano. Yes, because I presume mm. you can't take it anywhere because Cliente Corsa will have to look after it for you. Indeed. Yes. Next, we have uh, something for the children. Right. It is a Formula One oh. slot car racetrack. Oh! Uh, it has um, elements of Monaco about it. It has elements of Macau about it, even though that's not a Formula One track. Um, it reminds me a little sort of Poe. Um, hmm. It was custom built by Slot Mods Raceways for they the Formula One Paddock Club, and it is a 1 to 32 scale. So, Skelectric. Described as fun for all ages. Well, if it's fun for all ages, I'll say 56,000. 56,000 US dollars, John. Did it did it sell? It did. It did sell. I'd also point out that it does have built-in uh, on-track cameras. Does it? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, doesn't say what dimensions it is, but it is huge. What did you What did you say, Shea? Fifty six thousand. Fifty six thousand. Oh, I think it's gone for more than that. I see. I think seventy thousand. Uh, Shea gets points. It only went for forty eight thousand. Really? Yeah. Oh, what a bargain! Tell Dodsey. Should I? Should, <laughs> well, do you know? Do you know? I actually tweeted that to Dodsey because <laughs> the new price of that was a hundred thousand dollars. Oh. So somebody that was less than half priced, and I knew it would, you know. Jeez. Go on, move on. Uh, finally, mm-hmm. 1956 Mercedes-Benz 300 SL Gullwing. Lovely. This is a uh, gorgeous car, highly attractive silver over red colour scheme. 
it has the optional sport suspension and NSL engine. Right. A car similar to this won the Carrera Panamericana in that uh, year, 1952. Right. Mm. Uh, this one was actually uh, built in 1956, though. So. Yes. I've got no clue on this one. Mm. Who's got to go first, John? Have I? Yes. Uh, it's got to be several million, hasn't it, for a gullwing? Um, three million dollars. Three million dollars, Shay. Two point four. Shay gets another point, and that gives Shay the victory. It sold for one million five hundred eighty-one thousand two hundred and fifty dollars. I never win these. Even I would when just you've like to thank the, the academy. Before. And the responsible adult. It's not a competition, though, of course. No, this is a competition. No, no. <laughs> I confused my Ferraris earlier on. You did. Yeah. Very much so. Yeah. So I saw um, Nelly Telly had uh, tweeted something about uh, um, about the Schumacher car going for a lot of money and uh, one going for a tenth of the price, which was a much prettier car. Um, have we got time for bon, Bomba Literamel, Litera La Mente? That sounds like news in Spanish. Do you know what the story is? No. Oh, this is fantastic. This we is the news in Spanish jingle. No, because we haven't got, I haven't got time to read it in Spanish, but this is a genuine proposal uh, that the uh, new Brazilian uh, Formula One track is about uh, it, the place where it's been uh, proposed to be built is at the moment uh, covered in active landmines. Oh, yes, I had spotted <gasps> that. <laughs> Bomba literalmente. This is obviously uh, part of the FIA's uh, strategy to enforce track limits. Very good. I've never heard a better argument for it. <laughs> uh, very good. Very good indeed. Tell us about the special programme that's on next, John. Uh, the special programme that's on next, uh, stick around because Shea Adam and I aren't going anywhere. We'll be talking about IMSA and the WeatherTech Sports Car Championship. No, you won't. You're doing that tomorrow at 8. Oh, oh, the special programme that's on tonight. <laughs> yes. Oh, right. That means that does have an IMSA side to it, though, doesn't it? It does. All right. I wish I'd known we were doing this now because I would have let the lads know what was happening. Even though I told you last week. Yeah, but then you didn't tell me that you had done it. Uh, this is Symmetrics. Listen to find out what Symmetrics do. Um, it's a, a little look behind the scenes as we pull back, not the velvet rope particularly, but go inside a very clever box that turns up at most IMSA rounds. Uh, Symmetrics. Have a look at them and you'll find out uh, from uh, one of the principals next what it's all about. And we'll be back next week with the show of the year. Dress up and don't forget to vote. Vote early and vote often. Uh, no time to explain. The uh, Llama is offering a new set of regulations. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLamont.com.